Thank you for listening to the GSC Podcast. The following audio was recorded at the 2022 Gathered and Scattered Conference at Redeemer Presbyterian Church in Detroit, Michigan. Jason Velopoulos, uh, pastor at University Reformed Church in East Lansing. Uh, so glad to be with you uh, over this last day. Thank you to Redeemer and to John and all of their hosting of us. And he gave me the assignment of looking at corporate worship together. And he st- structured it as, let's look at corporate worship and its structure and its aim. And with John's permission, I'm just going to reverse that as we think about that. Look at corporate worship, its aim and its structure. And I was thinking this afternoon about Psalm 8 uh, in relation to this, one of my favorite psalms. Let me just read to you what the psalmist says. David says there in Psalm 8 in verse 3. He says, when I look at your heavens, the work of your fingers, the moon and the stars which you've set in place... What is man that you are mindful of him, and the son of man that you care for him? Uh, This is a good uh, subject to end uh, gathered and scattered with, think about corporate worship together, because it returns us all the way back to the beginning, and we have to ask the question of why is it that you and I exist? Why are we even here? The psalmist there in Psalm 8, David, has an experience like many of you, if not all of us, have had in this room where you're out at night on some dark night and all the stars are in the sky and you're looking up at all of those stars, more than you can possibly number, and you're thinking about how there are more stars beyond that and how that star there represents a whole galaxy which itself has tens of thousands of stars in it. And all of a sudden your mind starts wandering and you're looking at that. And then you think upon yourself. You're reminded of how small you are, how little you are, And David has the thought that many of us have had. What is God that he is mindful of me? Why is he mindful of me? One who knows all the stars in the heavens and has named every single one and placed them there. Why is he mindful of me? And the reason that he is mindful of you, that he's mindful of me, that he's mindful of every single person that has or ever will dwell on this earth is because we are the very center of his creation. You and I alone have that place of privilege. We have a greater place in creation than every tree, than every beast of the field than even the stars in the sky, even more so than the angels. Because you and I alone were created in his image. And why were we created in his image? People say, well, it's because God was lonely. No, God wasn't lonely. He is sufficient in and of himself. He needed nothing, and he needed no one else. If he needed something else, then he ceases to be God. They say, well, he needed something to love, at least. No, 
This is why it is so important that our God is triune. The Father loved the Son, and the Father loved the Spirit, and the Son loved the Father, and the Son loved the Spirit, and the Spirit loved the Son, and the Spirit loved the Father for all of eternity. So why does he create? The reason that he creates, as I think Jonathan Edwards said it so well uh, three centuries ago, is so that he might see himself reflected back to himself. There is nothing more lovely than himself, nothing more beautiful than himself. So when he creates, he recreates so that he can see himself reflected back to himself. You and I sit at the very center of creation in that as you and I live and walk and breathe and move, as we walk in holiness, we reflect back to him his holiness. As we walk in love, we reflect back to him his love. As we walk in peace, we reflect back to him his peace. We were created to be worshipers of him. Of course, Genesis 3 happens and we all fall. So he sends his son into this world. Why? To redeem us. Why? So that we might be recreated as worshipers of his. That's what Paul says there in Ephesians 1, that text that, Calvinist love, right, that speaks of predestination. Why is it that he predestined you before the foundations of the world? And the answer is to the praise of his glorious grace. You were created to be a worshiper. You are recreated to be a worshiper. And then lastly, as Demiron pointed out from Revelation chapter 4, chapter 5, we could go to Revelation 20, 21, you will be resurrected unto worship. This is what you will be doing for all of eternity. Created for worship, recreated for worship, resurrected unto worship. That's what we are. And so all of our life is to be a life lived in worship. That's what Paul says in 1 Corinthians 10, right? Whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Or as he says in Romans 12, he would say, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present what? To present your bodies, your entire lives, as a living sacrifice unto him. Your entire being worshiping him. The fact that you're created to be a worshiper and that you're recreated to be a worshiper, that you'll eventually be resurrected to be a worshiper, it makes sense then that throughout the scriptures, whether we are at the foot of Mount Sinai, or whether we are at the tabernacle, or we're at the temple, or we're at the synagogues, or we're at the house churches and acts, that when God's people gather together, when they gather together, what do they do? They worship. We've been called out to worship. So this is what we do. We gather together with one another week in and week out to worship. You were created for this and recreated for this. It actually becomes the great delight of the Christian. This is to be the thing that you and I long for more than anything else. Uh, Spurgeon a wonderful Baptist preacher of the 19th century will speak about Psalm 42. Uh, you and I often sing it or quote it, you know, like a deer pants for flowing streams, so pants my soul after you. And we take that as some kind of confession of need for 
personal worship, for private worship. And Spurgeon's right. When he speaks upon that text, he says, no, what David is confessing there is he's been debarred. That's the word that Spurgeon will use when he's commenting upon that text. He's been debarred from public worship. And he is languishing because he can't get to public worship. And he's longing just to be in public worship. It's a psalmist say there in Psalm 84, he says, One thing I have asked of the Lord, that will I seek after, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord, to gaze upon his beauty and to inquire in his temple. If you had one thing to ask from God, one thing, he says, the one thing I've asked from God is that I could just be in his presence and gaze upon his beauty, gathering in corporate worship. So what is corporate worship? What's happening in corporate worship? Why is it so significant? Some will say, well, what's happening in corporate worship is that you and I are giving to God. That's what we're doing, and that's why it's so significant. And there's very much truth to that. The, the word that is used both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, the New Testament word is proskuneo. Uh, in the Old Testament, it's a very similar word. They mean the exact same thing. It just means to bow down and kiss the garment of the person in front of you. You're adoring. You're giving worship. Ascribe to the, glory, the Lord the glory due his name. Ascribe to the Lord praise. Right? We're giving to him. We give them praise, we give them worship, we give them our tithes and offerings, we give them our confession, we give to him of our time. That's all very true, but that's not the essence of worship. Some say, well, it's to receive. That's what's primarily happening in worship. That's why it's so significant. You and I go to worship to get filled up again. We gotta get filled up again. We gotta receive from from God. We're there to receive, and it's very true. You and I receive. We receive the forgiveness of our sins. We're once again assured of that reality that he's forgiven our sins. We receive grace as the word is read and as it's preached. We receive grace as we fellowship with the saints. There's all kinds of receiving that's happening in corporate worship, but that's also not the essence of worship. It's not so much about giving, and it's not so much about receiving, as it is about being. Worship beyond all else is God meeting with us, and us meeting with God. It's just being. Now, there's giving and receiving, but there's giving and receiving because he's choosing to meet with us. He's in our presence, and he's allowing us to be in his presence. He said, but God's always with us. He's everywhere that we're at. Yes, but he's especially present with us in worship. I remember reading a theologian years ago. I thought he gave a good illustration of this. He said, uh, it's like living in a land where there is a absolute sovereign monarch. And when you're out in the field in this land and there's an absolute sovereign monarch, there's a sense in which he is with you when you're out in the field. 
You can always kind of feel his presence everywhere you go. But it's quite something else when you go into the castle. It's quite another thing when he invites you to his dinner table. When you and I enter into corporate worship, we're gathered together with the body of Christ in the presence of Christ. He's especially present with us. And this is to be the great longing of yours and my hearts. This is what was lost in the garden. When Adam and Eve are kicked out of the garden and forced to head east, that's what they lost. Was that just dwelling in the midst of God. This is why throughout the scriptures, whether it is the pillar of fire by night and the cloud by day or the tabernacle or is coming down upon the temple or we're told there in, in the opening of the gospel that Jesus is Emmanuel, God with us, or why he says to the disciples when he goes to the right hand of the Father, I must go so that I can send another to you, the helper with you. Wait upon him. All of this is pointing to the great blessing of that future day when wholly and completely, as we see in Revelation 21, when that new Jerusalem descends out of the sky and heaven and earth are made one, and what is the great promise that we are told there in Revelation 21? It is that God says he has made his home among us forever, uninterrupted, Dwelling with him, unfettered access for all of eternity. That's what makes heaven, heaven. And you and I on Sundays, when we gather together with God's people in God's presence, are getting a little appetizer of heaven. He's meeting with us. It's structure. Uh, what's it to look like? Well, if he's meeting with us, then he dictates it. I find it goofy over the years to listen to people say, well, the Bible speaks to all kinds of things. It speaks about how you and I are to live our lives and our families, what our marriages are to look like, what our parenting is to look like, what it's looked uh, looks like to live in the world, but God doesn't really say anything about how we are to worship him. We do what works. We do what appeals to the person in the pew. We need to be seeker sensitive. No, we need to be God sensitive. What does God say about how we are to worship him? Jesus will say there in John 4, he will say that God is that those who would worship God must, he says, must worship him in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. And so those two things dictate to us above all else. Let's take the second verse, truth. As my clock went off. Truth. Uh, 
That means that we do all things by his word. So our services are to be structured. We are to read the word. We're to preach the word. We're to sing the word. We're to confess the word. We're to sing the word. We're to see the word in the sacraments. That's what we do. We're word people. But it's also in spirit. And I take that as a little less spirit in John 4. That is that yours and my spirits are to be engaged. This is no formality when we gather together with God's people. Our spirits are engaged, our affections are stirred, our hearts and our minds are moved. And that can only happen now by the big S spirit having gripped us and seized us. But our little S spirits have to be engaged. That's how we're to worship. That's what it's to be structured by. His truth and our spirits engaged by his spirit. Just close with this one uh, illustration. Uh, my daughter, years ago, um, when she was, uh, she gets obsessed with different things. And at the time, she was obsessed with astronomy. And uh, there was a night where we had put on the calendar three months out. It was going to be a lunar eclipse. This never happens. This is a huge deal. And so we did all kinds of research. She knew everything about it. She had it plotted out on the calendar. And there was a countdown from 60 days out until the night of that lunar eclipse. And uh, the night uh, before we are talking about how we're going to do it, what it's going to be like, it hits its zenith at something like 2 a.m. in the morning. And so we went to bed early that night. We laid everything out. We laid out binoculars. We laid out a journal. We had all kinds of colored pins out so she could draw it and color it. When she stood out there, we were ready, and we went to bed early, and I woke her up at 2 o'clock. She came running down the stairs, fully dressed, grabbed her binoculars, grabbed the notepad and all of her pins, and we went outside, and we stood on our driveway, and we looked up, and I was just watching her, and I watched her look up. I watched her look at me. I watched her look up, and she looked at me. She looked up, and then she looked at me one more time, and she said, Dad, this didn't change my life at all. Listen, meeting with God changes your life. It's meant to change it, to go back to Kevin DeYoung's sermon earlier, it's meant to change it week in and week out forevermore. And it will change you day in and day out for all of eternity as you dwell with him. Let's pray. Our Father, we are thankful you are a God who has chosen to provide a redeemer for your people. We're thankful that you draw near to us in worship. We're thankful that you've drawn near to us in your Son and by the Spirit. We pray that we would be those that love to journey to your house, that love to meet with your people who can't wait for Lord's Day after Lord's Day, that we might just be in your presence. We pray that it would give us a greater longing for what we shall enjoy for all of eternity. May you always be before our eyes. May the eyes of our hearts always look to you. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We hope and pray this content was encouraging for you. For more information about our annual conference, visit us online at RedeemerDetroit.com.